helping. And she rang me up and she said to me, she said, I'm planning to kill myself with my two kids. You've got to help me. What is up, beautiful people? I am Lachlan Samuel, and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show that is making mental health mainstream. The way we do that is we interview people about the deepest, darkest, most traumatic and challenging moments and periods of their life. We go over what they went through, how they overcome it, any tips, tools and tactics that they use to do so, any lessons that they've taken away from that period in their life, and then where they're at now, how they've turned that pain into purpose. All I can say is that I'm just truly, truly grateful. And I absolutely believe that together, me and you, and the sharing of these stories, we will make mental health mainstream. Let's go. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast and to episode 96 with the CEO of Brain Wellness Spa and the creator of Q&R Therapy itself, Terry Bowman. I'm so stoked to do this and I'm grateful that you took the time to be here. Thank you, Lachlan. Thank you for inviting me and um, and I'm really excited to be able to share my journey, share a little bit about what, um, what Q&R does for people, a little bit about you know some of the things that I've learned along the way. Um, my struggles with mental illness were massive compared to most, but um, yeah, I'm really excited. Okay, seeing as we've touched on Q&R and seeing as you created it yourself mm -hmm. and you're positively impacting people with mm -hmm. uh, that modality of therapy, mm -hmm. can you give us a brief overview or summary of what Q&R is? Do you know, you look, you don't get my treatment until you get my treatment. Is that right, Lachlan? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really hard to explain because Q&R works at a, a very um, a deep level. And um, what it does is it actually, it actually interacts with the connective memory. So you've got Dean's, genes, DNA and chromosomes, and then you've got the neurons. And when you actually have a thought, the neurons, you know, go through the pathways and it goes through the synapses and goes through, travels where it has to travel, goes through, like it's, it goes through a highway of sophistication. But then when it actually comes to behavior and your feelings and emotions, that, that um, the neurons go out there and they knock on the, the gene's door and they say, excuse me, can I have that information to support that behavior? So it kind of like goes, and the genes go, oh, holy dolly, yep, let's go in, grab that. They give it back to this interconnected memory and it shoots it up to the neurons and all of a sudden you're actually irrational like an old woman. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so what QNR does is interact with that connected memory and stops the neurons that, you know, in that ineffective thought and thinking, um, you know, in, in that in, in moment where you actually trigger, it stops, it, it actually um, blocks that, that memory. So then um, it interacts with that and it stops the neurons from going into the, the actual information in your genes that actually drags out that behavior. It takes, it takes time, like it's not an instant fix, but you know, with your session, could you, you know, all your behavior that you normally have, could you get back into it? No, and that was one of the things you mentioned before my session that someone that you'd treated uh, wasn't, wasn't too happy with the way that she felt being so content and peaceful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've only ever had one of them. I've only <laughs> ever had one of them, but, but I like, yeah. And that was, and that was even before I got really good <laughs> at changing the reality of the brain, but yeah. Um, and, and you saying that, I was kind of wondering why anyone would ever be in a space where they didn't want to be at peace. Mm. And after my session, I found it upsetting, like surprisingly to me, I found it upsetting that I was feeling so content and so peaceful and that I couldn't latch on to anything negative at all. It almost felt foreign, mm -hmm. like it wasn't supposed to be that way. Mm -hmm. So it was a massive shift, a massive adjustment. I know, and um, and you know, um, I, I I love fast changes, you know, and I kind of I should actually slap myself a little bit because um, you know in the mental health space, like we can't afford to have people on a four to six month waiting list to try and actually deal with their current problems. 
Um, we can't afford, people are dying by killing themselves on a regular basis because there's not a quick intervention to actually stabilize the brain. And you know, um, and what, I, what I'd like to, what I've always wanted to do, and the other, the other um, difficulty I have is we're not government funded and we're not government supported. Yep. And so people to come in and access my treatment, number one, actually have to get immediate results or else I wouldn't be in business. Now we, we actually have two big businesses. You see how big my, that one of them, and I've got another one. Beautiful businesses too. <laughs> Do you know, they're out there stunning, aren't they? They're yeah. out there stunning. Both of them, you haven't seen South Perth, no. equally as stunning but different. And and I employ professional mental health workers. So from I've got psychologists, I've got um, social workers and everyone in between. And, um, and so to give that quality of care, to give that quality of love to give that quality of support and everything like that comes at a price it's not as expensive as some people you know i've actually rang up a psychiatrist um when i was going through my thing and you know his fee for 100 for an hour was 480 dollars but if he referred me back to a doctor he put his fee up to 530 that's serious that's serious wow that's serious and we're actually not like that but but um but what i had to do is i actually had to create something that actually was was really kind of spontaneous change and switch the reality. So your reality changed, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so to stabilize the brain really quickly, you have to change the reality of the mind and the brain. Yeah. And that's where, and for some people, some people absolutely love it because the suffering of their brain is so acute, it's so intense and it's so debilitating and the suicidal thoughts are so, um, dominant and controlling that that gives them immediate relief but in your case it was a bit of a shock yeah you weren't expecting it no not at all no no and and um and and sometimes we have to micromanage people like you because it actually is extreme uh, I, t I say i say this to people you know your your brain is in downtown syria you go to sleep for half an hour. All it was was half an hour, wasn't it? Yeah. You, I, you didn't hear what I was saying. No. You, you, you didn't know I was gonna. You didn't even know I was doing anything. I just felt like I was in outer space. Yeah. So you went into <laughs> this beautiful place. Your mind drifts off. That music is really lovely. Most people like the music, and then and then you're in downtown Syria. You're in conflict in your brain. There's bullets firing. You know, negative bullets going everywhere. You wake up and you're in the Maldives. Can you imagine those two realities? That's that's a little bit what it's like. But you know, for some people, and I forget to say to people, look, you know, you might not many people do, um, but there is that um, that chance. But I'm all about speedy recovery, spontaneous change, and um, and and for some people, um, the ones that are actually um, have a longer time with us their brains just aren't ready for um, immediate change it takes a little bit longer so yeah. we actually ma manage those that's amazing and mm. i think the resistance for me why i butted heads with being uh, at peace after your after that session with you was because i went into it thinking oh i don't think i have too much to work on i think i'm in a pretty good place at the moment mm -hmm. and then what your session showed me was that i actually wasn't that i still have a lot more work to do mm. and that was the resistance for me it's like shit i'm not this person who's in a really good place yeah. i still have a lot more work to do it was it was resistance for me to begin with but now looking back i can see like that was a good learning for me yeah see i said i always say this to people like I, I'm actually, I'm a geek when it comes to this stuff. I, it is my passion, it is my love, it is my, it, it, it's my drug. This, what I do is a drug, it's a drug. I get up every day and actually get excited about how I can um, get the brain to another level. You know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm addicted to, this is, this is an addiction for me. Yeah. This is an addiction. This is an addiction, and um, every time you know, every time I take my, the brain to another level, I transform, and then I realise—I can't say this word—but I realise what a sh shitey, a shitey <laughs> person I've been con compared to. And the thing with the brain, it takes ten to fifteen years for your brain to get into a state where it actually goes into. Um, 
a massive crisis. It's, it's a journey. The brain doesn't become unwell overnight. It's a journey. It, and it generally starts in childhood and it just goes and goes and goes and goes. And it gets to a point where the triggers are so acute that um, you go into a crisis and then you actually, you know, um, you go, you, you crash, you know, and some people they have to go into hospital, other people they actually need to go into retreats, other people they actually sell up, um, close their business down and, and, and do all that. But, you know, um, but your brain's a little bit like, and I say this to people, you know, and I say to them, have you ever had a favourite pair of Ugg boots? And you wear them, and you wear them, and you wear them, and you wear them, and they're comfortable, and they look, and you think they look great, and then you get a new pair, and you realise how bad they are. That's that's your brain. That's your brain. You don't realise how bad your brain is until you get a new reality and a new mindset. But we also heal the brain. So you actually got healing of the brain. Did you notice your mood lifted? Yeah. You know? Did you notice that you were more contented? Yeah. Did you notice that you didn't have a care in the world? Yes, which and was also frightening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worry is the biggest problem that causes most people's mental illness, worry. Yeah. All right, so before we move on from here, what, what is the definition of QNR? So QNR is quantum neurorecoding. So what what QNR? Quantum neurorecoding. I've actually been I've been attacked by um, by um, neuropsychologists about using the word quantum, and and I didn't realise that science actually owned it. But um, quantum quantum is um, is 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 um, how can I explain this? It's actually quantum neurorecoding is actually it's it's like on an energetic level. Yeah, I don't. I try. I'm trying to actually work out how the best way to to explain this. But what quantum is is actually a a um, it's it's a it's not metaphysical, but it's actually a, a energy. It's an energy that's unnatural. It's an energy that's unnatural. We've got energy in our brain that's unnatural to us, and it's actually it's actually a it goes past the the actually it goes at a speed of sound, light, and um, and frequencies. So it's 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 the speed of everything. The quantum is actually in the speed of everything. It's and but it's highly intelligent. It can change all subatomic particles and everything like that. So so I use quantum. I into quantum neurorecoding gets into the quantum state. It's just a state. It doesn't. It's not the actual process. It's just a state. Neuro brain recoding. That's what we do. That's awesome. Mm. I love it. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one question before we begin with your story. Mm -hmm. Could you please describe the way that you view yourself as a woman and or human? Okay. Oh, I've never... I, do you know, I'm so busy helping other people. I don't have time to think about myself. Describe myself as a woman. It's a big thing. Mm. Uh, do you know what? I just... I just... I'm just... I actually will go through my story. I need my journey to actually become, um, to actually understand what humility is. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I actually had to be incredibly humble to become a servant to people with mental illness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Humility is the essence of, um, is the essence of being a big contributor. And, um, and my journey with this, I, I've actually only just started. A lot of people don't know who I am. This, I've been going for 13 years. So it's been a long time I've been at this for 13 years. But I actually had to work out how to, how to be in my, in, my, um, in my womanhood or in my, just in my person, in my person, in my human essence and in my behaviour to become humble enough to be able to connect with people that are actually wanting to die. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you content with the person you are right now? Yeah, really content. I'm yes. Loving it. I'm loving it. You deserve to be. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And do you know what? I've actually done some work. This is a, I've actually developed a whole body of work and it's actually transformational development. Um, personal development takes years. I'm into, I'm into quick quick on um, speed so this is a whole work that actually develops you as a person but it develops every essence of you because you can get your brain right but if the if the actual um essence of you and what's the essence of you you, you 
your identity, your personality, your character, your mind, and your spirit, your soul, your chakras, your meridians, if they're not developed, you actually have a better better brain, but the essence is still crappy in nature. Does yes. that make sense? So I've actually I've actually cracked all that. So I feel amazing. <laughs> I feel I feel like I've just I've swallowed the hundred and fifty million dollar lotto in my mind. <laughs> That's how I feel. I feel. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that. All right, let's get on to your story. I think you said it starts at about forty-five. So can okay, you walk us and so that? so my journey started a bit before forty-five. Um, what I did was I actually um, came across Bruce Lipton. Do you know Dr. Yep. Bruce Lipton? He's amazing. I, yeah, I came across his work. Oh, gee whiz. Wow. So one of my I'm nearly fifty-six now. So. Um, early 40s early 40s and um and then he actually there was a, one of his and i was, i just i just kind of looked at it and all of a sudden these light bulbs were going on does that make sense prior to that i was working in a, i was had my we had our own business in and we were managing teams of people and one of the biggest things that was a constant frustration is people always got stopped you know they, they they couldn't they couldn't bridge the gap between failure and success and it was always failure and success and I found it relatively easy to actually um, do the work to get successful so my brain was I was actually a very resilient person um, I used to public speak um, to audience and the biggest one was a crowd of 10,000 um, Back then, I used to always get anxiety and used to get nervous and everything like that, like you do. And then I'd get into my flow, I'd be fine. But I'd actually always be able to perform. And these, these some people just couldn't perform. And so um, there was a technique called Psych K, and there was a guy called Rob Williams, and he was actually... Um, it was on one of Bruce Lipton's videos. There was videos back then. <laughs> there was videos back then. And, um, and I watched it and I thought, wow, you know, that's... That's the missing link. So I went over to the UK and studied his technique and then I came back and, and put some into practice but I went back to Germany to actually do advanced um, study into it, learning study. We actually, you know, whatever. And when I came back, I found I was really gifted. You know, I actually had a natural ability in doing that. So word got out, like word got out all over the place. And I actually, um, I, I had a bit of freedom in my life. And I was working from 9 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And, and, I, and, then, I, and then word got out and I was actually asked to go down to Bunbury and work in a clinic down in Bunbury and I was doing this and I was doing that and people were coming from here, coming from there. And it was, it was, it was really, do you know, the thing is I needed to actually um, become really humble because I was, getting, I was getting caught up in my ego. Yeah. You know, I was actually getting caught up in my self-importance and I was actually getting caught up in my significance. And I was actually feeling very powerful. Like I could do, I was doing stuff. Like there was one, I, I, I don't know whether the actual testimonial is still on my website, but one woman come to me, she had copper poisoning and I did some work on her and then she went and got tested a week or two back and the copper had gone. And then the, the guy, the person who actually was testing and treating her for copper poisoning rang me up and um, and then the next one came up was lead, and then we did some more work, and that was gone. Does that make sense? And he said, and he couldn't believe it because it normally takes twelve months to get rid of it out of your body, doing all this, but hers kind of went within um, two weeks. And I was kind of think I was feeling, you know, you do, you get, you get on, you get, you get um, caught up in your own little trip. Does that yeah. make sense? And um, and it's a dangerous place, especially when you're working with people with emotions. You know, I it was it, it was, now I look back, I was actually kind of feeling, <laughs> and then I look back, and it was a really dangerous place because I could, you know, you could really, um, it's just a dangerous place. And then um, and then all this was you know, that was going on, and and I was developing this, but there was a common thing that was actually occurring. Um, people. And, and this is the cycle, not with all, but this is the cycle with a lot of mental health treatments. It's the revolving door. It's a revolving door. It's a revolving door. And then I would actually um, help people um, change their perception, change their belief systems. But then what was happening in six to eight weeks' time, they'd come back and it was the same story. Does that make sense? Yeah. Same story. 
and then and it got really it got really frustrating. I just I kind of thought, I can't I can't morally charge for a, for this. I can't I can't morally keep charging for these people to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. And so what actually happened was I I kind of threw everything away and I thought this is not working. I'm just contributing to the revolving door, but yep. but doing because you can patch somebody up. But but long term long term change um, is really quite complex because there's there's a genetic side of things <clears throat> as well. So I threw that away and I started working on um, a, a modality. My first phase one was um, I called it my conscious K. <laughs> I don't know, came from somewhere. I, I really struggled to to name things. And my conscious K, I just called it my conscious K. And um, and it was it was different. It was it was different, but it was getting better results than what I was getting before. And um, and and it was working on a whole heap of different levels. It was more. Um, touching the body um I didn't like that you know but but what I did was I actually sat down and I I thought what are the five most effective modalities out there and I just what I did was I actually studied the principles not the technique I wasn't interested in the technique but what the principles of what the outcome was and I actually integrated those five principles together and actually created the actual foundations it's not the 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 actual technique but it was my foundations I've changed it since then but this is my foundation any NLP great modality EFT um, great um, <clears throat> I've actually evolved from that a great modality um, a modality called NET out there amazing modality um, Neuralink I don't know if you've heard of it but that's really really quite incredible that gets the brain that you that that's a modality that um, you can actually communicate to the brain to go and and fix the body you know that's a great modality and kinesiology so I kind of worked out the principles put it all into one thing and then started working from there but I I, I was dealing I, the the better I got the sicker the people were so they kind they kind of just kept coming into my orbit does that make sense yeah. and then what actually happened was I was I was dealing with all these really unwell people and I couldn't I actually couldn't identify with them I I could my antidepressant was an airline ticket and it was in my bag. So if my mood, if I kind of got oh, tired, I used to just pull up the airline ticket and take off. And it'd come back, I was happy. You know, that that was me. And I, I couldn't, I didn't know what it was like to suffer. You know, was no, I knew what it was like to be in a miserable relationship, but I didn't know what it was like to suffer. Um, to give you an example of how strong my mental health was, I went through IVF and, um, no, this is before IVF. I got pregnant and then the baby was dead at 12 weeks so it was lucky it was only 12 weeks and then I had to have it aborted and I had to go in and we we told everybody bought gone out and bought little tiny things and all that got all excited and then at 12 weeks it had to be aborted but I was in the hospital reading the magic of thinking big because I didn't want that to affect my emotional state I didn't want the trauma. I didn't want it. I didn't want that to affect my emotional state. That's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> that's not normal. But that's that's how committed I was to not let life affect me. Does yeah. that make sense? That was the circumstances I could have chose to to um, to get it affected, but I didn't want it to affect me. And the doctor said to me, "You're allowed to cry." And I said, "I'm fine. I'm fine." And maybe maybe I wasn't so fine. But but that was the sense of willpower that I had. Do you think that's because you were in a position where you were helping people and this as is, this, this leader? Before, oh, yep, yep. And yep. as this leader, you didn't want to be seen as someone uh, suffering? Do, do you know what I think it was? I left home when I was 15 yep. and I just didn't love living in my family life. Um, my, at that time, I hated, I hated it. And somehow I convinced my parents to let me move up to Brisbane and I stayed with my grandparents for a little bit. That didn't work out. So before I turned 16, I was actually renting and I didn't want any support from my parents because if they were supporting me, they controlled me. So I actually had to get tough. Does that make sense? Yeah. At a young age. So I was supporting myself from 15 on. Well. 
Yeah, and but I had a great life. I lived my my weekends with the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. So <laughs> it was good. No parental control. Good. But you know, we kept our nose clean. I kept my nose pretty clean. We just had a great time. But I think I, I actually had to have resilience and but I also when I made the decision to leave my family, I must have had enough confidence and self esteem to do that. Does Why that did you sense? have to leave? Um, I, they they moved from Western Australia to um, and they bought a farm and we were 16 kilometres out of town, no transport. No, I oh, had wow. no. I was isolated on this farm. It was isolated. It was the worst thing. But when I, because I'm I'm in my late 50s, back then you know what actually happened was women were only just bred for to babies and get a part time job and then babies and part time job or whatever. We weren't we weren't. We weren't developed to be leaders or business owners, does that yeah. make sense? Where does that drive and that confidence come from? Was that something you were brought up with? Uh, my dad my dad and my mum didn't. She had a story on herself. Mum, mum's first baby died when, on Mother's Day when um, oh. in hospital and they actually, she was only 17, so she never got over that. And then eventually she had us and she had a breakdown and ended up uh, in a... Um, a psychiatric hospital for th three to six months and then my father wouldn't look after us so we were put into an orphanage slash foster home when I was four years old and I still remember that was pretty tough going my childhood hasn't wasn't amazing yeah. you know we were regularly got beatings but they did back then you know in the yeah. 60s they beat you you know we used to get what they call the the iron cord i don't know if you know what the iron cord is no nope. the electric it's electric cord oh, yuck. and we used to get beaten with that we used to go to school with belts all over your body normal it was normal it was normal you know um days we didn't i didn't get fed for days because i wouldn't eat the food I couldn't eat certain food. Kids are like that, but we. But my father grew up from the depression years, yeah. so so that food you had to eat food. He he actually they grew up with no food. He had to eat food. And I couldn't eat I couldn't eat stuff that was cooked and all that type of stuff. Um, but um, but yeah, so just uh, want to take a quick second to give you a word from our sponsors. Hopefully, I'm wearing the same clothes I was back in that interview, but don't worry about it. We've got made it nutrition that is plant-based supplements uh, they're all about the holistic lifestyle they're all about the mind body and spirit and they're doing that through their high intensity body weight workouts as well as those plant-based supplements number two is crossfit long haul uh, the good times gym out in maddington now what they do is they offer personal training they obviously offer CrossFit group training um, and they will tailor your nutrition plan to help you achieve your goals. And the reason that I've partnered with CrossFit Long Haul out there in Maddington is because I'm a friend of the owner. I know her and she's all about that holistic approach as well, combining and intertwining the physical and the mental. So you'll be in good hands there. CrossFit Long Haul out of Maddington. Ciao. Knowing like what your mum went through, do you feel like that played any role in you wanting to, I guess, stay resilient while you went through that abortion? Um, uh, I, I didn't consciously reflect back on my mother, um, but I was really scared I was actually going to end up like my mother. I was, I was scared. Mum, 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 do you know... Um, the work that we're doing today, there is so many people with abandonment issues, yeah. abandonment and rejected love. And the, one of the byproducts of abandonment is um, you spend half your life punishing your parents, punishing your mother or punishing your parents, you know. Um, how you do that, withhold love, that's how you do it. You get reactive and all that type of stuff. Um, loneliness is a byproduct of abandonment. So people, there's so many people that are lonely. My mother was not emotionally available to us. Okay. You know, and, and a lot of women today aren't emotionally available to their children. And their mothers weren't emotionally available. The fathers, a lot of fathers are absent dads. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're struggling with trying to um, provide for the children, trying to do a job they hate. You know, you think of FIFO workers. Yeah. Um, they come home. They are absent fathers. So these kids grow up spiritually disconnected from their parents. And that's where I think 60% of behavioural issues come from because their parents are just 
not not there. Did you ever feel enough for your parents, knowing that you had to go into care? Um, I actually I actually punished my mother a lot when I was older. I just, you know, mum and mum and I, I just I never had a connection with my mother. Dad, dad was tough on us, but dad and I kind of got that connection. But as as a family unit, we were really dysfunctional as a yeah. family unit. We, there was no there was no healthy dynamic in our family. Dad was always had anger issues. We were always scared of him. I remember. I remember one day, you know, we were, you weren't allowed to eat at certain times. You were only allowed to eat at this, 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 well. and then yeah. So you couldn't eat when when you there was times that you weren't allowed to eat. And I remember um, sneaking into Milo, and my dad come in, and I got so scared that I had to hide it in the lounge because if he found me eating that, he would have. I would have copped it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you know, when when we wouldn't eat, that food went into the fridge at night time, then in the fridge, and then it would come up in the breakfast, and you can't eat the same thing from dinner. So you'd have it for breakfast, couldn't eat it, have it for lunch, couldn't eat it, have it for dinner. So that could go on for one or two days. A little girl not eating, you know. But that's actually because that that was, and it was normal. It was normal. You know, I talked to a lot of people, you know, in my age group, normal. You know, the brutality with children, normal. Yep. Exactly. So I, I can understand why you wanted to move away if it was dysfunctional then. Um, fast forward back to you going through this abortion and being super resilient, not mm-hmm. letting it impact you. Can you walk us through a story from there? Okay. So I just that well, that was my mental health. So when I was working with people, I actually um, couldn't identify them suffering because I chose not to suffer. Yep. Like I actually, they, I actually had a mind that was strong enough that didn't go down that path. My will, my mindset, and my positive nature. But my, but I must have have had to have a healthy perception. Does that my my yep. perception must have been reasonably healthy. And there's a guy called um, Victor Frankel. Yep. Have you heard of him? Man's Search for Meaning. You know, he 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 was in the concentration camp. And his mind, you know, was you know, it, it was so so developed and so intelligent and so um, um, positive. You know, does that make sense? That he he survives. He survives that where a lot of people never survive. So it's it's possible. It's possible. But then I, I remember saying out, you know, this. See, I believe I was created to do this. Yeah. And I was actually. Um, and I was on a pathway, a spiritual pathway, call it what you want to call it. And I remember just saying out loud, you know, I said out, call it God, call it Spirit, call it Buddha, call it whatever, Allah, call it whatever you want. And I said out loud, I said, please God, help me understand what these people are going through because I can't identify with it. Within six months, I'd had a psychotic episode and I was in a locked ward. And they kept me there for five months, five weeks. And um, the drugs were terrible. The shock was terrible. Um, just everything, um, I, and and that actually, and every time I had a period, I developed a condition called menstrual psychosis. So, so two days before an onset of a period, I'd have a psychotic episode, and then when I finished the period, I'd go normal. Wow! And so my brain, my I became extremely suicidal. I was actually planning my death. There was only two things that stopped me from dying, and that was one was. Um, I was scared that I would actually be found and be a vegetable with what I was going to do. Yeah. So, um, but death, I was suffering. I was suffering so badly. Death, look, when people commit suicide, I get it. I get it. Because you don't want to die. You just don't want to wake up. Yeah. Does that make sense? You just don't want that reality. I couldn't get the reality of suffering out of my brain. And so what I did was, um, you know, I was planning my death. I actually worked out I was going to go up to John Forrest, um, John Forrest National Park, yeah. go into a laneway and just do it out there, you know, so nobody could find me. So I was scared I was going to get found and be a vegetable and that would have been worse. And there was a girl I was, I was helping and she rang me up and she said to me, she said, I'm planning to kill myself and my two kids. You've got to help me. Wow. And I, and I, I said to her, I said, Kylie, suicide, the act of suicide is a conscious brain behavior. I, I, I work on the unconscious. I don't work on the conscious. And she said, you've got to help me. She said, I'm obsessing about killing my kids. She just she was she was actually wanting to drive into a tree and, and just she was that bad. 
And so I couldn't let her down, so I had to work it out. But, you know, it was actually a gift of a problem. My journey has been a total gift of a problem, total gift of a problem. I've been schizophrenic, I've been bipolar, I've been I, borderline personality disorder, you know. <laughs> I don't believe it's actually a mental illness. It's a personality disorder. Yep. Personality is a, a, is, is a reality of the mind. The mind is outside of the brain, but we work on that. Most people just get rid of attitudes. But but um, so all my journey, I had to I had to learn how to actually um, fix my brain, and in fixing my brain, I actually understood the actual um, process of the, the 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 disorder, and then I had to work out what the mechanics were, like what what was depression, like I had severe depression. Well, if you're so suicidal, you're severe depressed. I got anxiety. I remember, I remember not being able to talk to a person without almost having panic attacks. Well, wow. um, I was that weak. See, my brain became so weak from the drugs and the constant psych, um, um, psychotic episode. I've had about forty psychotic episodes in ten years. So how how do those manifest for you? The psychotic episodes. Yeah. Um, look, they just they come out of nowhere. So every time. Every, look, every time, like, I actually had um, psychotic episodes. I was actually, one year, um, I would have a psychotic episode, be in hospital for two weeks, and they really wreck your brain. And then you, and I was out for two weeks, another psych, psychotic episode, in hospital for two weeks, out for two, that happened nine months in a row. Wow. And my brain was so severely burnt out, I had to learn how to get the brain out of burnout. So everything, everything was a learning lesson. You know, it was it was a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It was a gift. At the time, it was I felt it was like being in hell with Satan. Does that make sense? But it was an absolute gift because the biggest problem today is with when you're actually um, mentally unwell, you're actually in you're actually in severe burnout. And I had to get to that state where I was in severe burnout. Well, wow. so. For someone who doesn't know what a psychotic episode is, what is that? Psychosis. They, I don't know what the the, the technical term in a psychiatric yep. um, term is, but I was insane. I was insane. When your external reality doesn't match your internal reality, so my external reality, I could see the world like this, but my internal reality was out there. Um, insanity hits in, so I was insane. So I was just insane, but but then insanity is not a bad reality. It's just it's just an altered reality. It's an altered reality, you know. And the doctors would say, "What now? What what, what was going on through your mind?" You go, "When you're in, when you're actually insane, you you're, you're actually you're you're on this trip. Does that make sense?" And then when you come back to awareness, you're so embarrassed. You're so embarrassed that you're too ashamed. The thing is, I had to know what it was like to be shamed, humiliated. I, I, you know, I had, because of psychosis, I'd actually, um, I can laugh about it now, couldn't, couldn't for a long time. Um, I was actually, um, I was wandering around in the zoo and they didn't come and get me and I was locked there in the night. I spent the night in the zoo. And the next morning, you know, because I had, you know, I was, had voices in my head and everything, I actually took off all my clothes and wandered around the zoo naked. Wow. You know, you know, that's, you know, and I was so ashamed of myself when that happened. That that stopped me. That stopped me from even trying to promote what I was doing. I was so ashamed. What if somebody came out and they found out and then it went public and nobody would come and actually come and see me? When I first went into a locked ward, um, my first psychotic episode, the do- the treating doctor, he was a, he was a public psychiatrist Mm -hmm. and he actually had his private clinic one of my clients went in there took a brochure because I was working with him took a brochure in and he he rubbished me he defamed me he said I know this woman this is what happens to her if you go and see her you might as well go you're just wasting your money you might as well go and spend it on a circus so, so you know, that's I, I, and family. I had friend. I had friends when when I was having my episodes. Friends just disowned me. I I've been kicked out of the house. I had nowhere to live. You know. Um, so it's not just you that was ashamed of you and your behaviour. It was the people around you as well. Well, do you know what it is when you because my behaviour was extreme. You know, yeah. I look. I don't. I don't. I don't get angry 
um, towards them, my behaviour was extreme. I was always this, and all of a sudden my behaviour became this. When you're insane, you actually have no control over your behaviour. No control over your behaviour. Your, your mind becomes consumed by thoughts and, and um, suggestions that you actually, be, you actually act out and do those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it wasn't me that was doing it, it was my brain that was doing it. Does that make sense? And so people just, people can't cope with what they don't understand. And so, you know, um, they just didn't understand me. So they couldn't deal with me. And, and I got challenged. I, people got angry with me. Um, and I know, I know the first time when I had a psychotic episode, I was traumatised by it. I was in trauma. I was disturbed being locked up in a locked ward in Greylands, disturbed by it. I couldn't get out. You have no rights. You have no freedom. And you're locked locked in this cage type of thing. Um, and the, the doctor kept telling my my family I was actually acting well so he kept me there longer than what I should have been um, because with my condition it's a rare condition so it's only on onset of a period and um, and and people people I got out of there two two of my friends dragged me up to these people up in Bifoot sat me down and actually got me to explain myself I was wow. straight I was straight out of straight out of a psychiatric ward and I actually was disturbed and I was, and then disturbed again because these people were angry at me because I went insane, you know. Um, so there was lots, there was lots of that. You know, I was asked to leave the house twice, and then I remember by your partner. He he was my look. He's him and I are really good friends now. We were, we were separated. He was my my husband was separated, and um, he chose to look after me, which was really wow. good. But he couldn't he couldn't cope, so he asked me to leave twice. He just couldn't cope. But I remember thinking I have to be homeless and actually prostitution, I have to go into prostitution because nobody would employ me. I was too unwell to be employed. So, um, and it was just all this, but you know, but every stage of my life during that period was a learning opportunity and an opportunity for growth and development. Well, did you see it like that as you were going through those no. periods? No, <laughs> no, okay. no. no. <laughs> No, hindsight's good. Yeah. <laughs> hindsight's good. When I was going through it and looked, you know what, this person here wasn't that person there. When I was in, when I was actually, um, you know, I was schizophrenic, so I actually had voices controlling me. I remember one time, you know, I, I don't have eyebrows anymore. I was shaving, and I couldn't stop it. I was shaving my eyebrows off. I was so controlled by this. I, kn I know what it is. I won't say what it is, but I was so controlled by this force inside of me that I was shaved, I've shaved my eyebrows off and I was about to shave all my hair off and I couldn't stop it. Does that make sense? I, I remember um, being, it was, it was winter and I had no clothes on. All I did was stand outside like this for three hours. Couldn't move, couldn't move because it was forcing me, the, the voices were forcing me to walk the streets and I was just trying to hold myself back. It wasn't fun. How do you express going through that to other people because I can imagine there'd be that uh, innate feeling that people aren't going to understand, understand you which they probably won't mm. and so like I'm wondering how you dealt with that and allowed yourself to express that eventually. I never I didn't tell anyone really wow uh, most of my clients I, 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 t I talk to um, some people and just say look I was in a lot ward but I don't tell people um, do you know what it is? It's just non. It, to me, it's a non-event now. But that's yeah. a, that's the beauty of my work. It is just a. It's a fact. It's not a reality. Does that make sense? If I if I didn't have my work, I would be so. I'd be still on a disability pension and living in a homeless West house, not being able to work. Well, and how did that come about? Being um, on the pension. Uh, because I was so sick, and I actually was constantly in hospital, so I was so sick. Wow, so you go through the stage where the people around you are forcing you to express yourself, um, kicking you out, you're unhappy with the way that you're behaving, ashamed of like that behaviour, and then now you get put on a disability pension. Mm. Well, see, I had no, at that time, when, and that actually happened 
after nine months of going in and out of psychiatric well. hospital every night, every month. Um, I was actually burnt. I was actually burnt out, but I had no income. But during what I've, what I've got to actually explain to you during this journey, I was still working with people. I was locked up in Greylands, and I had clients. I used to lie to get out to actually to work with my clients. I used to tell. I used to tell lies because I was locked up there for so long. I said I lied about my this one coming in from you know the UK, and I had to go here and I had to go there. So I would lie to get out of a locked ward to go and fix people up to go back in there because I'd rebalance in seven days. Yeah. Does that make sense? So in seven days I would normalise and um, but I'd be locked up there for longer so I'd have to lie to get out. Well, mm. well, that's extreme. Mm. Uh, look, my, there's not there's there's one client <laughs> there's one client um, and we talked and she actually has borderline personality disorder. She had but she's actually um, been diagnosed since then with um, being on the spectrum. And um, I said I said to her, how, how many times have you been in the ward? And she said. 53 times, I said, you win. <laughs> you win, you more than me. <laughs> so how does someone in that position, being so sick that they can no longer work, pull themselves out of that situation? Because being someone who's had friends who take their life, who's attempted to take their life as well, the easiest option would have been to take your life. Do you know what? I wanted to. I wanted to. But the thing is, when I learned how to get the suicidal thinking out of my brain, um, it was it. I, there's what what it is. I had to learn what suicidal to the end point was um, to actually fix it. But um, there's three stages of suicide, and then like I won't go into it. It's not the platform here. But you know when you get to that third stage, that's when you actually death is inevitable. Yeah. Does that make sense? There's a lot of skill you have to do to get the human being because. I'll explain this. There's a there's a life force that's in us. It's not our soul. It's not our spirit. It's not this, but there's a life force inside of us. That was designed many many years ago. This is a whole new other topic. A long time ago, people lived a lot longer before they became cavemen. There's another. That's another story. But that life force was designed to actually. Um, um, for the spirit would let go if the person was suffering because people lived for a long time. And when the if the if the the suffering of the brain was too intense, so so that say family members died and they were suffering, that life force would go and then they naturally die. But this is after many many years of life, whereas that life force, the spirit, is actually part of that connection. The life force decides it wants to go and then suicide. But it's actually but how we do it now is really violent. It's really and people are dying. It's, six seven years of age you know taking their lives well so you know i've actually this in some community aboriginal communities young kids are taking their lives and all that type of stuff yes really bad especially in aboriginal communities and in native or indigenous new zealand mm. communities as well yeah. they're among the worst in the world yeah so yeah. how did you being in that position take the steps to get yourself out of that not only get yourself out of it but put yourself in a position to now be running this business, which is making such a positive impact. Mm. What I had to do, <clears throat> look, every, every, it's a spiritual journey. Like I was actually, you know, I had no control over it. Does that make sense? So, so every, every time I actually learnt a specific part of getting the brain right, I then actually had to go and learn again. And how I learnt was actually the impact it had on me. And and the hardest thing was, and then I actually, and then what actually happened it was really beautiful. I had teachers that came to me, so I would learn, and as I learned, then people would just come into my life that were equally harder, um, and then I'd learn from me, and then I'd actually learn from them, and then I'd develop more of my technique, and. Um, but the burnout, the burnout, I was actually in, in, in severe state of burnout. Burnout is actually what stops people getting recovering from um, mental illness. Most people that are actually in chronic states of burnout spend most of their lives in bed. I'm talking about chronic. Yep. Some people that are actually in burnout drag themselves to work. They're not effective at work. They're not effective in their home. They're not effective in their, in their family life. And um, or they just stay. They just stay in bed and they don't shower. 
and I was actually at a stage where I was just asleep. I, I just couldn't get out of bed. I didn't want to get out of bed. The brain, when the brain is burnt out, it programs you to go into an, it's almost womb state. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have you been in that state? I don't know if you've been in that uh, state. No, not quite. Okay, so in 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 a womb state where it actually where the brain has the brain defaults back into that womb state, um, and it's the state where the brain felt the most safe. Okay, that womb state the the best way to replicate that womb state is in a darkened room in your bed. You know, your bed is actually closest thing to womb state. Does that yep. make sense? And so. It actually, it actually conditions you and it programs you and it changes your neurological processes of reality so you stay in bed. And it, I was actually, I was, I was in bed and the worst part about being in bed, you actually, it, it, your body aches after a while but you can't get up, you don't want to, you just, you just don't want to open your eyes. I just didn't want to open my eyes. But I had to earn money and I had to work out, um, I had to earn money or else I was going to be on the streets. So I used to drag my sorry ass into work and I was like this. And then I'd perk up and then the thing is, like, you know how you sleep, how you yeah. sleep now? People would come in and they'd sleep for about 30 or 40 minutes, you know, or whatever. And what I would do, I'd have a chair and I'd actually, while they were sleeping, I'd do my work. And I'd be like this for the same time. And for the grace of God, for the grace of God, something would trigger me and I'd wake up 10 minutes before they were due to wake up. But I, I had, that's, that's the only way I could do it. I was that burnt out. I was sleeping when they were sleeping. And a couple of people <laughs> saw me and they complained. <laughs> but you know, she was asleep, but, not, but I was burnt out. And I actually had to work out how to get the brain out of burnout how to heal the brain, you've got to heal the brain, but actually how to get the neurological processes of reality backfiring again. And it was, and I'd had to do it on me first. Well, and so, so and, and, and you know, I've got amazing energy now. And is that how QNR was born? Uh, QNR was developed many years, but it just, it, it's grown and it's grown and it's grown and it's grown. That's amazing. And I get, <laughs> and, and we actually get really quite sick people coming to see us. And so I've made a documentary because I'm getting a lot of resistance out there in in the medical sector. Yeah. Um, because we actually are making a positive impact with what we do. Um, we've got lots of video testimonies. I don't know if you've seen some of them, but there's lots yep. of video testimonials. Um, and um, the work we do is really special. But you know how special is it when you have you been to a um, to a cancer or anything before? Yes. So, so when you go in, was 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 mine more relaxing? Yours was probably the most relaxing methodology mm, I've mm. ever been in or used. Yeah, yeah, and and the environment and the thing is, what this is, I actually I needed to know what the psychiatric care was like in the public system. I'm glad I didn't go into private because it's probably was like Hotel California compared to mine. I actually had a situation where I had a psychotic episode in in Singapore and was actually locked up there and I was actually tied to a bed for days. Wow. So, you know, so so it's like the Ritz-Carlton and it was bad here. Um, it's like the Ritz-Carlton here compared to Singapore and Singapore has developed so I can just imagine how psychiatric care is in some of these other kind of countries. I was, I was tied up, I couldn't move, tied to a bed. I had to beg for water and it felt like hours. I had to beg to go to the toilet and you were tired. And you weren't in a room, you were actually in a, in a big space and there was about 20 beds all, all in one space. You've been through a shitload of struggle. <laughs> how, how do you now have the confidence to be someone who's put yourself in a position to succeed? Do you know, um, one of the things that I actually found that what, what, because I had confidence and self-esteem is what gives you resilience. Does that make sense? That's yep. resilience. Look at Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump, he might be a right old twat and say some really ridiculous things, but he has got the armour and kryptonite can't affect him. Does that make sense? Yep. And so what actually happened, what I lost was my, I, my brain went weak. Um, I had no confidence. I had no self-esteem. I, I, my self-esteem was right down the bottom. I never. I was never in the gutter before. I was. I was in. I was down the bottom. No confidence. I couldn't. I didn't have confidence to talk to people. I. I was speaking in crowds of thousands. We got. I was flown over to South Africa to speak to people. 
had no confidence. And and what I understood is if you don't build confidence and self-esteem when you're working with people with mental illness, you just they default back into their behaviour. We encourage it. Um, we, 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 we tell people the benefits of it, but some people don't opt for it, so they actually trigger back. Um, but you actually have to build your confidence, self-esteem. We've got beautiful confidence, self-esteem program, only three sessions. I worked out with me how to build mine back. Three sessions each, and you've got confidence and self-esteem. And now I've developed a transformational development program, and that takes you to a whole new level. And I, I, look, I'm just going to predict in the future, but I believe if people did the emotional empowerment program, did the confidence, self-esteem, and did the transformational work, we'd never see them back into, into our care again, outside of trauma. That's amazing. Yeah. That really is. Um, we've got about 10 minutes, so I want to ask you one more question about your story and your journey. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you had to go to those depths and go through all that struggle and adversity to be someone who could identify with or relate mm-hmm. to the people that you help? Do you know, if I, if, see, the thing is, you can get depressed. People, look, you know, there's some people that came into me that were depressed. Yeah. And I said, you don't need me, you just need Brad Pitt. You know, <laughs> these are women, these are women. Yeah. <laughs> and they weren't men, men. But these are women. I said, look, if Brad Pitt came into your life and said, hey, you're my woman, do you think you'd be depressed? No way. Misery is more addictive than happiness. You'd break the misery cycle, you'd be happy, and you'd be on cloud nine. Does that make sense? And I'm saying, you just need Brad Pitt. You just need Brad Pitt. <laughs> and um, so, you know, anyone can do that. But you know what? What drives me the most, what compels me to do what I do, is I actually had to understand what suffering was like. Mm-hmm. I suffered and I suffered. I suffered for years and years and years. And, you know, that suffering, I never want to lose. I this. I could actually get rid of the feeling of suffering in my brain and my and, and in my soul, but I don't because the moment I lose it, I stop the, the actual drive to keep to keep this work going. And see, I'm getting a lot of resistance to try and stop me from putting this work out. My legal bills are huge at the moment um, because there, there's all these people wanting to not let this come because this is treatment without drugs. Yeah. Exactly. It's treatment without drugs. It's treatment without years of therapy. It's treatment and healing at the same time. It's yep. treatment and development. Does that make sense? Yep. It's treatment and life-changing. Um, and it also, it kind of rocks the system a bit, if you can relate to that. Yeah. It rocks the system. They've got a revenue model that relies on that cycle. Mm-hmm. My law- one of my lawyers said to me, he said, Jen, the problem with the, the um, mental health is it's actually like a rent roll. Um, it's guaranteed income. So you keep them in, in there. So we actually keep, you know, people come to us, if moderate, it's 12 sessions. Um, if they've got a bit more complex, it might be three or four sessions after that, maybe five, maybe not meant much more than that. And then we really encourage them to build self-esteem and confidence. So, so it's actually a different model, but within three to four months, you're set and you forget. Yeah, that's amazing. And I believe good change needs resistance, like going from horse and cart to mm-hmm. the automobile or from candles mm-hmm. to light bulbs. Mm-hmm. People are always going to resist something that they're unsure of. Mm-hmm. Just like um, you spoke about Dr. Bruce Lipton and him and his work with epigenetics. Mm-hmm. All the scholars laughed him mm-hmm. out of every lecture hall. Mm-hmm. And now it's a legitimate science. Yeah. So yeah. it will be accepted eventually, and I can't wait for the day that it is. Yeah. A yeah. couple wrap-up questions, though. Yeah. Um, knowing everything that you've been through, which is a hell of a lot, what would you say the quality of your life is like now? Amazing. <laughs> so, do you know? Do you know what? Because because um, my quality of life could be better. Yeah. Like I've got I've got a good life. Don't get me wrong. I've got a good life. <laughs> I, I've got a good life. Um, my legal bills are actually, you don't go into business to pay massive, I've spent over $100,000 in legal bills already and, it, and it's escalating. My, leg, my legal bills are escalating now. My lawyer has said to me just recently, he said he's scared that um, I'll go bankrupt because of his legal bills because the, the, you know, they might take us to court yep. and all that type of thing. Um, 
the biggest the biggest thing is like you know when we had those course and cart days and we had like bowls and candles we didn't have these armies of people fighting fighting for you know like yeah. and the internet and this and this and this and this and this so i'm only one person you know i'm an inventor i'm a creator i'm actually a healer i'm actually um, an empowerment woman as well i've got a whole range of programs just for um, peak performance that you know for, for peak performance and all that type of stuff as well um, but um, but my quality of life who I am today and I'm willing to fight this because if I have the ability I have the responsibility that's amazing I've never mm. heard that and I'm definitely stealing that no way <laughs> <laughs> um, last question yeah. knowing all of that what are you most grateful for right now for the, for the shitty journey in psychiatric care. Yes, that's yeah. amazing. Reframing, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. All right, thank you so much. I just want to acknowledge the fact that you come here, you're busy, you're the CEO of Brain Wellness Spa. Yeah. You've got a lot of people to help, people that you positively impact yeah. through Q&R therapy. So thank you for making time, but thank you most of all for turning that pain to purpose and doing what you're doing now. I'm grateful that you're here in Perth. <laughs> now before I let you go you beautiful beautiful human I just want to say I hope that you liked that episode I hope that you enjoyed it and if you did please make sure that you share it with your friends your family anyone that you think or feel will benefit from listening to the story of vulnerability the story of courage the story of overcoming struggle now if you haven't already please follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you're on Instagram, you already know that you sleep in my fridge, inside joke. And please, if you can, subscribe to us on YouTube or give us that five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever podcast, platform, or app that you use. It'll go a long, long way to helping us make mental health mainstream and getting these stories, these stories of courage, into the mainstream. Thank you all, guys. Ciao.